0: It's May 24th, 1956, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca and Ali. The Retrospectors.
1: Okay, picture it. You're a member of France's premier whistling double act. You're on stage, you're whistling and whistling. You look off to the side and the stage manager is gesturing frantically keep whistling, keep whistling. So you go on and on, the stage lights are blinding you, your throat is parched, your lips are dry as you desperately try to continue whistling. This is the interval act of the first ever Eurovision Song Contest. And the reason that they had to keep whistling was because the judges were still deliberating. I
2: mean, I just feel for France's second whistling group who were probably watching this (laughs) unfold and going, look, they're clearly padding for time. And if it was us up there, we would have had no problem.
1: It's surprising that the judges needed so much time because in comparison to a contemporary Eurovision Song Contest, they did not have a lot to discuss. It was a first ever contest and there were only seven countries participating, although they did each get two songs.
0: Like in the X Factor final when they're trying to pad it out a bit.
1: There was no UK at all.
0: Well, the country existed, right? But just wasn't a member of the Eurovision Song Contest at this point.
1: The UK missed the deadline. And you can't really blame them for not having the foresight to see what the Eurovision Song Contest would eventually transform into.
2: Probably at this stage, no one could have imagined the sort of political nightmare that it was going to become, particularly because the reason that it was founded in the first place was kind of to try to unite Western European countries as a unified bloc after the ravages of the Second World War and then into the Cold War. Are you War. talking so-
0: about the European Broadcast well, Union here or the EU, Arian? Have you, <laughs> have you <laughs> you're confused? Well, both. If you realise, but the EBU is credited with preventing many nuclear attacks.
2: <laughs> but I admit that probably was what was underpinning why everyone was so polite about it. Au contraire,
0: Arian, to use a European phrase, I have <laughs> discovered that the European Broadcast Union was actually founded because there was a predecessor which kind of governed wavelengths and frequencies and boring analogue things like that to make sure that broadcasts from France didn't interrupt broadcasts from Germany or whatever. And its name was rather blackened after the Second World War because it had effectively become a propaganda tool for the Nazis in all the countries that they'd invaded. And Mm. so it was the need for a clean slate. Let's create the European Broadcast Union, a brand that every country's public service broadcaster can have trust in. And actually it was like as tedious as making sure that the wavelengths were right And Eurovision was just an afterthought. It was just like, oh, and let's do a light entertainment event as well, so we're not just all about VHF.
1: (laughs) Well, and this inaugural contest did not have a lot of spectacle. I mean, if you're picturing the modern camp spectacle and glamour, you would have been quite sadly disappointed, I think, with the first Eurovision Song Contest. It was almost entirely broadcast on the radio. There were no groups. I don't know if you know this, but bands were actually banned Hmm. from the Eurovision Song Contest until 1971. So it was all solo acts or duets. There's no surviving recordings of the first contest except the winner, Alessia, singing The reprise of her winning song Refrain. If you picture, you know, a white lady with very tall hair in front of an orchestra singing, you know, a standard nineteen fifties ballad, you get the picture. Yeah.
0: The kind of thing someone would throw flowers at her afterwards.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) It's a very Doris Day kind of vibe happening.
0: But but orchestral, I mean again, that's different, isn't it? Like you still get an orchestra and a conductor if you want to use them, I think, at the Eurovision Song Contest, but obviously most entries now are in the pop style, aren't they? So just they're not that
1: Well, yeah, and you didn't have your choice of back. Music. you had a 24 musician orchestra with four mm. guest conductors because I guess they probably got tired out through the evening or potentially actually the four conductors came from different countries so maybe this was like an early attempt to stop any kind of sabotage
2: by rogue conductors going too quickly or too slowly <laughs> yeah right come on lads czechoslovakia is up next let's speed up
1: (laughs) i mean if it was an attempt to make the voting fairer it would have been probably the only attempt that year for one thing the judges were free to vote for anyone they wanted including their own countries Mm -hmm. the contest took place in switzerland luxembourg's judges were unable to travel to the venue so they said switzerland could vote for them any way they saw fit The judges Mm. never had to reveal who they voted for and the vote tally was never released to the public and Switzerland won. Wow. (laughs) Do you know the first group to win after the ban on groups was lifted was ABBA with Waterley? they are now seen as quintessential eurovision but they were actually part of like a whole new era of eurovision where you could actually have breaking the
2: rules man exploiting the new rules
1: (laughs) well i'm surprised to be honest that they lifted the rules because you know it started off with a solo artist winning in 1956. 1957 they had a duet by a danish pair of singers who kissed at the end of the song an unscheduled kiss that was the longest kiss in eurovision history
0: I love the fact that someone has got the stopwatch out for that
1: And I watched it actually, you can actually watch this kiss on YouTube And it is passionate and odd
0: Well I mean it's a big moment isn't it To know that all of Europe is watching As you perform with your significant other That's. I can see that that might genuinely lead to an unprompted kiss We're all such cynical <laughs> beings these days
1: It was 11 seconds long
0: that's a lot of kissing. One of the rules that they haven't changed recently is the nationality requirement. So currently, you do not have to be from the country that you're representing. Did you know that?
2: Yeah, that's how Gina G snuck in in the first place. You know, Australia wasn't right. in the competition until comparatively recently, but she represented the UK. So if you're listening to this and you've always wanted to be on a Eurovision song, don't try and apply
0: to Britain or Australia because there's a lot of competition there. Go and apply to, like, Belarus or Azerbaijan, or these <laughs> countries that often get in to at least the semifinal. final because they're under no obligation to use someone local. Like, you'll probably end up singing a local style of song, which isn't your culture, but you don't have to be from that country. And I think, in one, like, recently, Belarus only had 67 songs to choose from rather than thousands like we have here in the UK.
2: God knows how we make such terrible decisions when thousands are submitted. But that's the way to do it. Go to Luxembourg. <laughs> Uh, One of the things that I discovered when I was researching this was uh, I was really interested in the phenomenon of nulpois, which is obviously a big part of the contest in general. But there have been several acts, in fact, 36 all up, that have got absolutely no points from the competition at all. Well, that's quite a lot, actually, isn't it?
0: Like to have zero (laughs) points, not even from your neighbours, not even one sympathy point.
2: It was easier in the early days when fewer points were being handed out, so that probably accounts for the great majority of the null point totals. But can you guess which two countries hold the record for the most zeros? Ooh. Ooh. It's
0: difficult to openly speculate about which European nation seems the least (laughs) musical. Maybe it's a case of would be less relatable to other European nations, so... (laughs) Yeah, Malta is probably a good guess, actually. Like, I reckon something sort of centre-east.
1: Yeah, it's got to be a country that doesn't have many natural allies. Yeah. <laughs> Places like France and Belgium, actually, have been down the bottom of the leaderboard quite a lot. I would say maybe Belgium.
2: I like the directions that you're going, but actually you're not correct. Moldova. No, one of them uh, is surprising, particularly because it Iceland <laughs> sits in a block. It sits in Iceland's block of, of co-votees the the scandi unit who among the scandies has had the finland.
1: most finland norway
2: norway well done norway. Rebecca. <laughs> really now you see norway have won a couple of times haven't they in the last decade Right, yeah, I, I vaguely recall from being very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and the other country, for completeness, is Austria. So that that they've both uh, uh. had four times
1: each. Not a musical nation.
0: Not musical nations, but big names in Europe. Mm. I mean, they're not they're not niche countries, are they? If you want yeah. to win
1: now, that you don't want to be in Western Europe, well, yeah, you've yeah, got to yeah. be sat right in the east now. If you, you want have. to come anywhere near the top. <laughs> So that's why I will be entering next year's contest on behalf of Azerbaijan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember Israel's entry from 1999, Happy Birthday. Is it the happy birthday that we know? (laughs) No, that's what's so incredible about it. It's like, it's got two things going on. On the one hand, they've obviously thought, right, how are we going to get a massive hit like Waterloo? You know, how are we going to come out and get an international song? And Israel had won the year before as well, so there was a lot of pressure on them. How are we going to do a song that the world can relate to happy birthday everyone has birthdays right and then <laughs> having made the statement that we're going to do a song called happy birthday to you and they're dressed as a boy band and they've all got the waistcoats and everything they then decide to do the second line of the song in ivrit so the lyrics go happy birthday to you shalamot yit Gashmu." <laughs> so oh, we're going to take the line with the widest possible <laughs> appeal to kick off the chorus and then we're going to bring in one of the languages spoken by the smallest populations on earth it's <laughs> <This laughs> a dead <laughs> sir tomorrow
1: there's a mini paris in the city of hangzhou there's thames town have you seen pictures of that in shanghai um,
0: love the show support the show patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the acast creator network